Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontieres, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. This is Snake. Colonel, can you hear me? Loud and clear. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is The Solid Snake Simulation, where we put a pin in Solid Snake's character following our completion of Metal Gear Solid 4. But first, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigand becomes, we know who Meryl marries, we know the fate of Master Kazuhiro Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. Usually here, I would plug my Patreon and our stretch goals, which you kind of know the spiel, so go with that. Uh, but instead, I'm also going to say I apologize for my voice this week as I am coming off the fluster, the flu and booster shots I just got. Um, so I'm a bit under the weather, but I am still committed to crawl through this microwave tunnel to get you some more Podcast Sans Frontiers episodes. Solid Snake is, uh, he stands for vaccinations. Solid Snake is pro-vaccination. We we want to get that. Which, you know, if any, if any fictional character could be justified in not being, uh, having things injected into them, it'd be Solid Snake. But he still, he believes in the common good. All through MGS4, Snake has every reason not to get injected with stuff. And all he does is let people inject him with stuff. Drebin, Naomi, Ocelot, they all inject Snake with needles uh, during the course of MGS4. So... Snake, no matter what happens to him, is always taking his shots, and so should you. David Hayter's Solid Snake basically defined the template for a modern video game protagonist, especially those engaging in male power fantasies and existing in the action-adventure or military action genre. From clear copycats like Sam Fisher to guys like Nathan Drake or even Kratos, who may take a cue from Old Snake these days, the mold of Solid Snake can be seen all over the medium, be it in physical appearance or his voice or the emotional spectrum he exists in. Snake himself, of course, is an amalgam of other pop culture touchstones that we've discussed plenty before. Snake Plissken from Escape from New York is at the top of the heap, but Russell's McCready character in The Thing is also in there. James Bond and Lupin III, of course. Reese, or Michael Bean, from The Terminator, with Snake's initial art design on the MSX, and bits of Bad Max, Captain America, and even Jean-Claude Van Damme makes its way into Solid Snake. In this way, Solid Snake gets to act as a nexus for the male power fantasy protagonist. He vacuums up a lot of archetypes that come before him, archetypes often soaked in masculinity, and performs some full Metal Gear alchemy to create something new, a character meant to challenge the very properties that constitute him. And of course, Solid Snake is the Rosetta Stone for a Metal Gear protagonist. May seem trite, but every other protagonist, be it Raiden or Big Boss or Venom Snake, is a play on Solid Snake. But none are the complete picture, and Snake retains all of himself while the others either physically or emotionally lose parts of their selves. Become demons, as you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I was thinking about this yesterday while I was riding around in the car a lot looking for furniture for my new place. Um, I was thinking about it, like, let's just say post-MGS1. So, like, we're not counting, like, Link, Mario, even, like, Gordon Freeman, I think, would be considered, like, a contemporary. Mm-hmm. And, like, so is there any 
video game protagonist who is as iconic as Solid Snake. I think Master Chief is reasonably close, but Master Chief has suffered from inconsistent characterization. Like, he does have a character, but some games just pretend that he doesn't, and other games, he's, like, narratively, like, he's, like, the, the protagonist, like, he's doing all this important stuff, and then the next game, he's just, like, a blank slate again. Which is a really weird uh, way to characterize a character, but, like, Science of him, Nathan Drake, maybe... Kratos, I suppose, but Kratos is kind of the same thing as Master Chief, where some games he's just kind of a blank avatar of vengeance, and then the next game he's like a fully formed character. Um, I th- I think Master Chief, like, at least might rival Snake in terms of iconography. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. visually recognizable, and you instantly know where he's from. I don't know if he has the same kind of character. He does not. Uh, no. And I, and I again, I, I think Master Chief is sometimes a very good character. But, like, that's a, that's a sometimes. Every... So every game that Snake is in, he is a great, he is a he is probably the best character in the game, and that's saying a lot considering how good Kojima is at character that characterizations. Even just like rote blank ones, they're so interesting. Maybe Agent Forty Seven, but Agent Forty Seven is another kind of like uh, like the joke is almost that he's generic. So I don't know if that counts. So like yeah, I can't think of anybody, especially like how many Japanese characters because like we just mentioned like Commander Shepard I guess but Commander Shepard's the whole point is that Commander Shepard can look like literally anyone so there's not really mm-hmm. like a default characterization um, they they didn't even I mean they originally wanted that all the marketers are on kind of the, the default male Shepard and that no offense to again I played male Shepard a lot Mark Muir is a good voice actor he's not Jennifer Hale mm-hmm. Jennifer Hale's character version just became kind of the, the one that people really identified with and, and liked the most as they should. It's a better performance. I think maybe the only one you can put on par with Solid Snake is not male, but a woman in terms of Lara Croft. Yeah. Um, and that's because she also got two blockbuster movies. Okay. Um, I guess I would, three. I would, consider, I would consider her a contemporary anyways, of like a series that, not someone who came after. Like like you mentioned, mm-hmm. like the, the, the characters that are obviously taking cue from a snake. I wouldn't say Lara Croft is one of those. Correct. Yeah, like I'm trying to think now of any Japanese characters anyway. I'm sure there are Sora. <laughs> um, really, like it's tough to tell. Fan, I'm sure there's somebody I'm missing. I'm sure that somebody could email us angrily, well, constructively. Yeah, well, no, feel free to email us. We yeah. haven't gotten too many emails recently, so if you have someone who has had that kind of legacy and impact, because there's a lot of people who are close, and some people got like the movie bump that Metal Gear has not gotten yet. Like there was Max Payne, there was a Hitman movie. Um, we're going to get an Uncharted movie, and I'm sure I, that I, I, I feel bad that I forgot Max Payne. I'm one of the biggest Max Payne fans there is. I think he's a good he's a good one. Mm-hmm. And I like all these other protagonists we were mentioning. Maybe Altair, one of the nah, um, no. Assassin's Creed. I mean, I only really like Ezio. Ezio's yeah, cool. I do like Ezio, but... But, uh, like, that's, again, kind of the Master Chief thing, where that's more of an iconography than yeah. a character. Yeah. Um, you know the look, but not the person. Won't spend too much time on the MSX games, which in my mind, I still want to cover before we wrap up our Metal Gear coverage. 
but Solid Snake almost has a full character arc in the confines of the two MSX titles, Metal Gear 1987 and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. In Metal Gear 1987, Solid Snake infiltrated Outer Heaven, which is 2,000 kilometers north of South Africa, to learn about some new doomsday weapon discovered by Gray Fox, the foxhound agent who tried to infiltrate Heaven before him, but never returned. This was Snake's first mission, and he was sent there by his commanding officer, the legendary Big Boss. Snake would eventually discover this weapon to be Metal Gear, and the leader of Outer Heaven was none other than Big Boss himself. Snake took down Metal Gear and Big Boss, only for the game to end with a message from Big Boss that he and Snake would meet again. We know now that the boss he killed would be Venom Snake of MGSV. Snake would end up retiring after this first Foxhound mission. Metal Gear 2 saw Snake come out of retirement to deal with the Zanzibar Land disturbance, which was predicated on the leader of Zanzibar Land abducting a scientist who had created a new biofuel from algae. Themes about oil and petrodollar, and it's important to U.S. hegemony, already showing up in the series back then. Under the command of Roy Campbell, Snake would discover this was all a cover for another Metal Gear plot, being piloted by none other than Gray Fox, Snake's old friend. Snake would take down Metal Gear D and then face Fox down in a minefield. It was a bittersweet battle between former comrades, with Snake winning and his friend seemingly dying. Big Boss revealed himself at this point, and we basically have a proto, there can only be one boss and one snake moment. Snake wins, thanks to a makeshift flamethrower, but after another fucked up mission, he retires yet again and disappears to Alaska. What we see in these early games are a lot of trappings of the first part of a hero's journey. We get a mentor figure in Big Boss to start, we get a call to adventure, the loss of a good friend in Gray Fox, etc., Some of the latter parts, such as transformation and return, occur in the Solid games, but already in the MSX era, we have established Solid Snake as a fully formed character with people he cares about. It's also worth noting that these sort of betrayals that we see from Big Boss and Gray Fox were pretty much wholly new to video games. While turning Cloak is a time-worn narrative tradition, it was not common for games of the 80s and early 90s to really have this sort of plotting. So already Snake is being imbued with pathos and history long before the solid era of games. Now we enter the Solid series, which we have fully recapped, so I don't want to retread too much old ground. You should check out our third episode of this podcast, What Are You Fighting For?, where we did our initial laydown of the Solid Snake character, his influences from Carpenter and Lupin, how David refers to the David and Goliath, with Goliath being Metal Gear, and all that good stuff that's old hat for this podcast now. And of course, that David is also the name of the voice actor, David Hayter, which is Metal Gear playing in that space between game and player. The themes that will drive Solid Snake forward from here take shape. The soldier as a pitiable figure or pawn, how soldiers are used to buttress oppressive institutions like the U.S. military, and really focusing in on what we leave behind for the next generation. 
As we belabored, this game, and specifically its back half, is where Solid Snake starts to self-actualize. I think this is a combination of two things. First, the real human connections he makes with Hal and Merrill, and eventually a resurrected Gray Fox, and second, actually being confronted with his own violence, his desire to kill, and what that says about him. Often, the first act of a character arc is being unaware of the answer, knowing that something bigger is going on, not just narratively but thematically, but not being able to actually get at it. This is perhaps best captured by this iconic moment. Snake! What was she fighting for? What am I fighting for? What are you fighting for? If we make it through this, I'll tell you. And with each of these games, I want to take a moment to talk about David Hayter's performance in them. In Metal Gear Solid 1, uh, Hayter's Solid Snake is more aloof and indifferent to violence at the game's outset. He grows more compassionate over time as he um, bonds with Meryl and Hal, and we can see... um, you see these come through in moments like when Sniper Wolf has Meryl pinned down in that long hallway section or when Hal asks Snake if love can bloom on the battlefield. His womanizing in this game is kind of half-hearted or going through the motions. He makes one-liners at Mei Ling and um, Meryl, but it doesn't feel like his heart's really there. He's more like, yeah, this is probably what James Bond would say at the time. Uh-huh. And while he's not a rookie at this point, there is something youthful in uh, David Hayter's performance here, or at least untarnished, compared to what we'll hear from Philosopher King of Metal Gear Solid 2 or the old rundown man of Metal Gear Solid 4. Metal Gear Solid 2 begins Kojima's interrogation of the success of Metal Gear and to figure out what is the substance and what is the shadow on the wall. And while that applies to Metal Gear Solid broadly, it also specifically refers to Solid Snake. The S3 plan which gives this episode its title speaks exactly to that. You can check out our full Solid Snake analysis for Metal Gear Solid 2 in Episode 10, Infinite Ammo. What does it take to make a Solid Snake? Is it just the battles he fought? Can anyone go through the same training or even a VR exercise of Shadow Moses and become Snake? Or is there something more, something intangible? And do we even want to be Snake? Or do we want to shed that skin and emerge as something new? In the tanker portion of the game, Snake is still a pawn of sorts, being puppeted by Ocelot unknowingly, but him and Otacon are working for themselves now and appear to have been doing so with some success through their NGO, Philanthropy. They have figured out what they are fighting for to wipe the meme of Metal Gear from the face of this earth. The Big Shell incident, though, that's when Solid Snake is probably at the height of his power, though we, the player, do not get to experience it ourselves. Instead, borrowing from films like Hidden Fortress, we are given control of some other guy named Raiden, and he gets to be our camera on this snake that faces down Fortune and swan dives into the Hudson to give chase to Metal Gear Ray. 
The second act of a character arc usually has our protagonist trying to hint at the truth, the answer they were seeking from the first act. Snake, especially in this game's ending, goes full Philosopher King about fighting for the future and passing the torch, about discovering who you are and what you believe in, and doing everything you can to start being part of the answer right now. We need to pass the torch and let our children read our messy and sad history by its light. We have all the magic of the digital age to do that with. The human race will probably come to an end sometime, and new species may rule over this planet. Earth may not be forever, but we still have the responsibility to leave what traces of life we can. Building the future and keeping the past alive are one and the same thing. Liquid got away, the identities of the Patriots was a dead end, and it seems we are just left with a confused sense of what happened at game's end. But none of that slows down Snake, as he vows to keep fighting, whether specifically Ocelot or abstractly for a better future. David Hayter's performance this time around is a little more sure of himself, especially in that second half or the Big Shell portion, because he just knows what he's about, son. And this game allows him to become more of a narrator, uh, deliver more exposition than any other games. So while it may not be, say, the best David Hayter performance, which is no slight to any of his others, it is probably the one where he has the most media exposition to share to the mm-hmm. player and the audience. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this. Um, I was watching some Peace Walker stuff because that's what I'm playing now. And it was an interesting point that there's always... I, I wonder how deliberate this was in two... In every Metal Gear game, there's always somebody like you, the player character, is always behind. There's some other legendary figure that you're learning from or you're mentored by. And it's it's Snake and too. Like it's the only time that he gets to be that character. And I think um I just think it's an interesting I, I I had to feel like that was deliberate because by that point it was already a trope. You know, there's there's Big Boss in the first there's in the first three, there's Miller in and in, in MGS one, and then eventually there's the boss, and that's like the the er version of that mm-hmm. character. That's the reason I don't think a boss centered game could ever work, because who's supposed to be that character for her? Because mm-hmm. when you're playing if you're playing as the boss, you're you're going to be weaker than than like, you know, just because you won't kill everyone immediately. You know, you won't win every single fight in th- in ten seconds, like it seems like the boss could do in that game in MGS three. So like, I just think it's an interesting, it's an interesting trope. There's always a mentor character. There's always usually some sort of betrayal by them, which there isn't too. If we don't, you know, we don't forget. There's that like two yeah. minutes where they make it seem like snake is working with, Oh, he's working with Olga and maybe he's evil. I mean, I don't think anyone actually believed that, but they do go for it in the narrative. I think that's very in line with, um, cause uh, Terminator two was a big, yeah. you know, touchstone for metal gear two. And I think it's just a little bit of that. Arnold is playing the opposite role. Yeah. And while snake doesn't go full opposite, he does get to be that character, uh, in a series where he's never that character. He's usually on the receiving end yeah. of that betrayal. Yeah. It's just interesting. And I, I think, I think MJS two snake is sort of the er text of solid snake. Like, I think that's what people, it's just interesting that you don't play as him for, Aside from the tanker, but like the big shell snake, you don't play as him for even one second. But I think that's sort of the version of snake that people have in their brains. Yeah. And I think some of that's just 
Um, a, you know, the PlayStation 2 was a banger of a system, you know, one of the best selling, but that like fully rendered Solid Snake is like the first time mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we saw him, not like the pixelated MGS1 appearance, which works perfectly fine for that game, but is not like detailed. Um, I think the way that Solid Snake looks in um, Metal Gear Solid 2 is kind of the image most people have of quote unquote Solid Snake. It's also, um, I, I think, indisputably like the biggest the series ever was. Like mm-hmm. marketing wise, like it was marketed heavily. It was a, it was the game of fall 2001. And then like, I just, the, the backlash from it sort of like three just did not have that level of marketing or anything behind it really. And it's not solid snake anyway, but I mean, it, it might to, to like mainstream marketers marketing, it might as well be, but yeah, yeah, technically it's not for our purposes. It's not. Yeah, I know I just said that uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, or at least the big shell part, is Solid Snake at the height of his power, but that's also a meta point like that you're just making, that Metal Gear Solid 2 is the biggest that the Metal Gear franchise was, at least in that era of video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I really don't know how to gauge how popular Metal Gear was afterwards, but after Metal Gear Solid 1998, it was like the best thing since sliced bread, and Metal Gear Solid 2 was one of the most anticipated games ever. Um, maybe the biggest game anticipated ever outside of a Zelda or Mario title or something of that equivalence. We just wrapped MGS4, so y'all know where Snake's journey ends. You can find our deep dive on Old Snake in episode 24, Age of Heroes. In Guns of the Patriots, we have Old Snake, who represents the last protagonist, a hero at the end of his line, though don't call him a hero, a Pokemon in his final form. While the solid snake of MGS1 became the template for video game protagonists going forward, the snake of Metal Gear Solid 4 would be a template for aged protagonists as well, something akin to Kratos in, say, the latest God of War games. Snake represents the last man standing, the one guy everyone is banking on to help them achieve their ends. It's the will of Solid Snake in full motion, a man with a sense of duty and desire to do this one last mission. Whereas the first two acts was about getting at the answer, Snake gets all the answers over the course of this game and commits unflinchingly to his final mission, the proverbial last cigarette of his life. He knows what he's about, and he's got no illusions otherwise. I'm no hero. Never was. I'm just an old killer. Hired to do some wet work. And maybe that's why I love his journey in 4, because in the end, the suicide mission gets recontextualized into a new lease on life at the very end. Snake gets to lay down the gun, and even his name. He can diminish and go into the West as David. He even quits smoking. As dour and grim as most of MGS4 is for Snake, his ending is affirming that the path he took was righteous in the end. And... As I've gushed before, at least in terms of the Solid Snake games, uh, the David Hayter performance in Metal Gear Solid 4 is my favorite, partially just because he's got that grizzled old man voice and he's completely over it, not unlike, say, Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon 4. 
Um, there's lots of pathos, some regret, but he's very honest about who he is, which is pretty much just a hitman or a killer. It's a more cynical Solid Snake, but it's no less motivated and no less uh, sure of who he is himself. You'll notice in that game how often he perks up. I think I mentioned this while we were doing it, but anytime no one mentions Liquid, he like wakes up. Yeah, he's like yeah. Oh. he just kind of get, has to like get himself going. It's great mm-hmm. he because that's what he has to do. You know, that, he considers it his responsibility. Yeah, and of all the things that are going on, because there's you know a lot of things with you know um, the Patriots and GW, but like the one thing that Solid Snake clearly has to do that no one else can is defeat Liquid. Um, everything else was some combination of Atacan, Naomi, Sunny, whatever. Uh, but like just, you know, beating Liquid or Ocelot or a combination of the two, it, that was on Solid Snake to do. And he was sure of that through and through. So putting aside the revengeance of it all, MGS4 is where we leave Solid Snake, and we can look back at his legacy. We've hammered home the theme Solid Snake has played on throughout the coverage, which speak to the broader themes of these games, and are also played on by the other characters such as Big Boss and Raiden. Challenging masculine power fantasies has always been at the core of these games, and it's wrapped in hyper-masculine and militarized trappings to make that even more poignant. In doing so, it reveals broader themes about soldiers as pawns, as broken men, as pitiable figures. It also interrogates the idea of a person, what what they are as a symbol versus the actual person. Solid Snake and Big Boss before him are fucking legends, and truly they do some pretty bonkers shit. But all of their victories are contrived in some way. A higher power, whether it's the Patriots or Kojima, thumbing its scales to allow them to succeed. It's the Liberty Valance effect. The world knows the printed legend, but we see David underneath it all. And when we talk about the legacy of Solid Snake, we should first note that legacy, or what we pass on after our lives are over, is very central to Snake's character. No matter what, in the end, he was looking to atone for his sins, as well as his father's, all in the name of leaving behind a better world. We are going to juxtapose this to Big Boss a lot in our Peace Walker and MGSV coverage. We will see how Big Boss allowed the sins of the philosophers to be passed down, how he would leave behind a broken world of snakes and metal gears. Looking at this legacy in the medium, one thing that stands out post-Metal Gear Solid 1 is how fans kept demanding Solid Snake after 1998, and at each turn, Kojima swerved on that hope. Whether it's Raiden, or his war criminal father, or an old dilapidated version of Solid Snake, we never got the experience of being Solid Snake at the height of his power when he isn't a tool of the government or anyone else. I don't play enough video games to talk much further to how Solid Snake has penetrated the rest of the genre. I can point to characters like Nathan Drake or Sam Fisher, or your standard Call of Duty protagonist as being Snake-like, 
at least in design, but my knowledge ends there. So Brian, why don't you take it away from here? So yeah, like I was saying before, I probably jumped the gun on this a little bit. The idea that I, like there's nobody else who's really as iconic as him, and I actually got like a list here of characters. I think the 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 key thing is characters that have endured over multiple games have had like an arc. Because I think Arthur Morgan is a terrific character, but he's in just in Red Dead Two, and like, he has a great arc in that game. But there's no there's no time for them to like people to re- fans to react to that character and then for that character to be changed for a sequel, you know, like the way re- the truly iconic characters do like Duke Nukem, that great character we all love still. Um, but yeah, so I don't think there's anyone really close to snake, but I did find a list. So I have uh, Max Payne is on here. Alan Wake is on here. Alan Wake technically is in like four games. Mm-hmm. John Marston, I think is, is probably honestly the closest as far as just like that kind of, Nah, that's sensitive because he's kind of a dickhead in the, in the original game, but just that that version of masculinity that's more nuanced than just like I shot all the bad guys. Mm-hmm. I did. I did modern warfare. <laughs> but um, I see Adam Jensen from the Deus Ex games has had a nice arc. He's only in the two though, so he's kind of harder. Right? We I talked about Master Chief. We talked about Nathan Drake, Agent Forty Seven, Kratos, uh, Billy Laskovitz in the new Wolfenstein games. I think it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Even though he's technically a character who existed in the, in the 90s, like that character, that was the most. Even more than like Doom Guy, like the Wolfenstein 3D Billy Blaskovitz was a guy. Like he had no characterization whatsoever. And the new Wolfenstein games have really interesting. I just like, I think he's an interesting character. And yeah, they lost it with him as like as a father. And I, I think that's, that's a good character. So that's a character that I think, that's a character I think has had direct, like I, I think they could directly take inspiration from Snake there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and the interesting thing is, I think there are some female characters who, who would fit this bill, but the interesting thing is none of them are, well, okay. Ellie in last of us is, but she's not originally Alex Vance isn't originally. And Elizabeth from Bioshock is not originally, I think that's an interesting, like, like I just, I don't know if that's just where games were in the early 2010s. I could say, yes, it was, but like, you weren't allowed to play as women. You were allowed to have, like, you were allowed to protect them, which I think is another, um, sort of facet of the masculine power fantasy. But I think mm-hmm. there is somebody I forgot. And this is why I, I knew there was somebody I was thinking, of. I was like, I knew there was another Japanese character, Kiryu from Yakuza, of course, who may be, in fact, be a better character than Snake, or at least has had more. <laughs> There's a lot of Kiryu content, but he, he kind of hits all those same bills as like a, a sensitive, Interest, like introspective, emotionally mature, also hyper badass legend. But, but like, I think he fits because in the in the lore of Yakuza, he is like a legendary figure. To where, like, even by in four, five, six, even like in Yakuza three, honestly, even Yakuza two, people were like, "It's Kiryu!" Like, oh, the legend is here. I can't believe I'm I'm sharing this. I can't believe I just got in a fist fight with the legend Kiryu, and he beat the shit out of me with a traffic cone or whatever. Yeah, there's not like an in-universe reverence for a lot of these other characters the yeah, way there yeah. is for Solid Snake and Kiryu. So I think that's a Master big... Chief. There is to his to the series on detriment sometimes, but um, yeah, Kiryu I think is the only other one, and he has that same sort of like again because he's like from the outside. I think if you were to see pictures of him or just like a if you have any like just sort of rote knowledge of Yakuza, you're like, oh, he's the the cool guy, but he just the way he's designed, especially he's designed to be like, what did certain 
parts of Japanese culture think was cool in the year 2004. And it's like, yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, but no, he's become like, he's a, truly a terrific character. I think he's, I think he's the only post snake character. And I think he can also more than likely, because Japanese developers always take a lot more, uh, they're, they're a lot more open about like taking direct inspiration from their, their, better their, their yeah, uh, no. Contemporaries is the word I was looking for. Yeah, I mean, Whereas, I think you see that outside of video games too, just like in anime and other yeah, stuff like yeah. that too. I mean, how many times now? There's been two different things. Not only because you mentioned it was Snake, but also uh, Spike Spiegel. Openly, the creators are open. Like, yeah, we wanted them to be like Lupin. And like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. so. That that's like nobody. Nobody is ashamed to admit that they want their character, their protagonist, to be like the coolest protagonist in the history of Japanese medium, Lupin Third. Like you don't get you don't really get that as much in America. I mean, you get like some reference. You get more reference to actors. I think it's IP law. Honestly, I think IP law has something to do with it. You'll get people being like, "Yeah, we wanted this person to be like Clint Eastwood or John Wayne." Well, people don't do John, don't do John Wayne as much anymore for some reason. I can't imagine why. Um, you get that more. You don't really get people in a like, the only person I can think of right now again is Coach by being like, "I wanted him to be like Snake Plissken." You don't really get that you get references more to actors. Like you're more likely to hear an American director or American video game company talk about like, we wanted them to be like Kurt Russell. They won't say we wanted them to be like Snake Plissken. And I, I just don't know if that's copyright stuff or if it's just IP exhaustion. I don't know. Creative types don't want to talk about that shit anymore. But yeah, I think so to bring that back around, I think Kiryu is the only other, the only post snake character that I think has achieved a solid snake level of just deep characterization and sort of just, it's a little more gentle because Yakuza is not like transgressive really in any way. I wouldn't say mm. it's like the stories are all like, they're all like complete soap opera garbage. It's great. But I, I think I there is, it, yeah. there is, there is some poking at sort of masculine identity and like this, like what you what it means to be because Kiryu is a big baby. He you know he cries all the time about his daughter, his adopted daughter being endangered, and it's like openly. I mean, he runs an orphanage for like three games. Like that's what he keeps doing in between games. And people ask him like, "This is what you what you want?" He's like, "I love it. I love helping these children." It's like, oh, you know, that's not what you would expect a super tough gangster guy to be doing. That's not what a GTA character would be doing. Although Nico Bellic is a great character too, but he's in one game. He doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I, I think Kiryu. I think the the interesting contrast between them is that people have been asking, like maybe to Yakuza's detriment. I haven't played six yet, but I mean, narratively, Kiryu retires after Yakuza two. Probably should never have been in the series again, but people wanted them, so they kept bringing him back for every single game. To the extent that like, he just shows up in some games that have nothing to do with him, and then you get to play as him for a while. So that's sort of an opposite, like complete fan service of just keep they keep bringing him back. Uh, the that's almost the exact opposite of Snake, who was never brought back once. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, I'm only not. brought back to pull the rug over you, or yeah. you know, yeah. as part of the deception, uh, or only brought back to to poke you and poke you the player in the, in the face and be like, "You want this? This is who you want to be." Mm-hmm. Guess what? You'll never be him. Which is incredible, still that they did that. <laughs> it's what Metal Gear Solid Two is about. Yo, you want that? You want you want more Metal Gear? Do you sure you want more Metal Gear? Here you go. Open up. Here comes more Metal Gear. Um, and maybe yeah, I'm know. just 
I'm cynical. I don't think we'll <clears throat> ever see something quite like that again. No. Um, or I mean, if you do, it'll probably, you know, you'll probably have directors and creators coming out saying, oh, you know, explaining it all and all this stuff. And, you know, Kojima does explain a lot of his choices. I can't that, even know. imagine with how cranky and just completely unhappy and, and cynical and incapable of, and, to, and, you know, not entirely without reason, right? Like places like Reddit are about modern games. Like, I mean, look at the last of us two stuff where they, they lost their minds for like six months mm-hmm. and it's not, that's and, 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 and that's not even like, and that's, that's completely throwing out like all the extremely racist and sexist areas of the internet that just reject this stuff out of hand. I'm talking about like people who otherwise like, people who were really excited for the last of the two and completely got the first game and what it was about. And then as soon as Joel dies in the second one, they're like, I'm going to kill everyone involved. Like just lost their minds. There's still people now the halo Reddit had to get, have it all of its comments locked because people were kept yelling about like cosmetic unlocks. They were so mad about it. And like, like people just don't, you know, it's, it's the society. This is the society we live in. You have no identity other than your brand identity. And if your brand identity lets you down, it must be made to suffer. Yeah, and you have to rage at the creators. Yeah, you have to fight God. It's kind of bleak. Yeah, so I can't even I can't even imagine what Metal Gear Solid Two would be like. Like it would be zero user scores. It'd be like, I mean, it already now when you get like Jeff Keighley types referring to it, the, the controversial Metal Gear Solid Two. Even though I think at this point anyone who's talking about that game understands what it is. Like mm-hmm. you don't really see that anymore for some reason. You don't really see the, the that game sucked thing. Which and you did see. I, I remember hearing it when I started playing them. People were like, that's the one that's really bad. And I was like, okay, I guess. I, I liked it enough when I played. But uh, that seems to have been kind of erased from the timeline. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, most people have come around to it. But yeah, I was there. At, <laughs> I was uh, in the wake of the 2001 uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 discourse. And that was, it was not pretty. Um, other podcasters, uh, like Bob Mackey over at Retronauts, he worked at a GameStop during that time oh, God. and people were coming in and yelling at him about the ride in thing. It's like, dude, I work at GameStop for minimum wage. Uh, like, you know, that's like how violent, but I mean, they didn't have the internet as it no exists outlets. now yeah. to like, um, so they could yell at a couple people and maybe on a message board, but now you can, people would be tagging Kojima and sending him death threats directly and all that stuff. So, um, I'm trying to think now. I'm, I'm just I'm kind of on a tangent here. I think uh, that stuff turns for me really well with Gamergate, but like ignoring that, which you shouldn't, you should not ignore it. it mm-hmm. It's still happening uh, to a frightening extent, honestly. I can't imagine being a woman in this space in any context. It sounds awful. Oh, what did the um, Game Awards not uh, just gloss over a ton of bullshit in the games industry right now last night? I Who's to say? We all love the Game Awards, don't we, folks? It's very important and meaningful. It definitely means something. Um, no, uh, I, I distinctly remember when Dishonored 2 came out and there were problems with DRM stuff on PC. It didn't run that well. The frame rate was all fucked up. And people were like, you would see reviews that were like, game plays great. It's better than the predecessor, but it doesn't run right on my six-year-old laptop, so one out of ten. And like, just review bombing the fuck out of it, which I'm sure contributed to it not continuing far after that. Which is bullshit. Like, people were doing that with Hitman 2 because it had some weird issues on launch. And they were giving it like 1 out of 10 because the the servers were messed up. And it's like, that doesn't mean the game is bad. That means the servers were messed up. Please stop review bombing shit that I want to continue existing. 
go review Bomb Call of Duty. Nobody gives a shit. It'll make $10 billion and they'll make four more of them next year. Like, that's fine. Yeah, the Department of Defense will always fund those uh, propaganda games. I mean, but I even remember just, people losing their minds over um, the Spider-Man PS4 game because um, a second trailer didn't have as good reflections in the puddles. Yep, yep. Um, it's just like, what what are we doing here, people? And um, that game, you know, it has some issues with the way it deals with cops, but overall it's just a pretty tremendous game. Um, and I just can't imagine losing your mind over that or not understanding what the game's process is to know, hey, some things are just not going to matter as much and well, letting it's it like, go. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a thing that people, movies, I mean, that, that the entire film internet has its own issues, but it doesn't have that issue. Like, if you go to see a movie and the theater fucks up, like the real breaks, that doesn't mean the movie was bad. That just means there were technical issues. Like, completely different. The te- like, how the medium is presented to you technically is very different from the content of the medium. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if if you if if you go rent a book from the library and uh, fifty pages are torn out, you know, like what a shitty book. It didn't explain anything. Like I just people just don't don't have no emotional intelligence and no just no ability to compartmentalize things they like. Like I, I didn't think Halo Five was very good. I didn't like it very much. I didn't go like three four three should be killed. They should be taken outside and shot in the head because they, they they made a story I didn't like for this dumb game, video game. Like, who cares? Play something else. But that's the thing with video games now, too. They're more and more a service. So it's like, if you pay $60 for a game, I have to I have to be able to play that game for eight hours a day for 10 months. And if, if I can only play it for nine months, then it was a bad game. Like, what the fuck? So people have yeah. no... I get part of it is, you know, you don't want to be paying $60 every couple of weeks for a new game, which is why you should get a service like Xbox Game Pass. Xbox Game Pass, Game Harder. Um... But like it's just it's just fucking silly. I I don't know the way people think about games in general. You still see you don't see this as much, thankfully. But like five six years ago, you would see a lot of like, why would I play a game that's single player only? I can only play it once. And it's like, what if it's good? What if it's yeah. something you should play? What if it's a piece of art that's worth your time? And you know, I'm not gonna say like a Call of Duty game is necessarily. I mean, it is a piece of art. It's just a shitty corporate you know propagandist piece of art. But I mean, like. You can't really put like hard lines on some of that stuff, and it's just annoying because it honestly prevents the medium from going forward, um, at least to some degree. I mean, obviously, there's still some great creators, and there are a lot of thoughtful fans. I like to think me and you are, um, and a lot of the people we talk to. But um, what it, there's that a great nine volt tweet is like the thing preventing video games being tr- uh, treated as art is gamers. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much like the roadblock there. Gamers. Otacon, there's a gorilla wearing a tie here. He's huge. That's Donkey Kong. As you can tell, he's got strength to spare. He may be king of the jungle, but he lives in a house just like you or me. And he seems pretty smart. Well, for an ape, anyway. The Donkey Kong who fought that epic battle with Mario was this guy's grandfather. That was a long time ago. What about this Donkey Kong? Does he get along with Mario? Nope. They're still at it. Seems like they're always competing in something. Kart racing, sports, you name it. A chip of the old block. I want to take a second to mention the other game Snake has appeared in and maybe give Brian a chance to talk about the ones he's played. Um, I'm going to list these off real quick. They include the non-canonical Metal Gear, Snake's Revenge on the NES, Super Smash Brothers, I think several iterations of that franchise, 
Ape Escape 3, Little Big Planet, and there's also just references to Solid Snake in other games, such as in Harry Potter Lego, years one through four. Um, if you hide in a barrel, you can get a Solid Snape trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess while I'm here, just say, fuck J.K. Rowling. And then there's also Solid Snake Easter eggs in games like Ace Attorney, Silent Hill, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Evolution Skateboarding. I just found one recently in Deathloop that I told you about. There's an achievement for getting a certain amount of kills with guns you find in the field. It's called the Master of OSP. Yep. There you go. And that's another way. It's just it's not just Solid Snake, but there's so many trappings around him that have kind of taken on a life of their own. Um and the, what there was that game that uh the pack and with the PS5 uh Astro World mm-hmm. or something. Astro's Playroom, yeah. That there you go. That also has uh a solid snake reference. I think especially on the PlayStation end of things. I know um MGSV and other titles have made it to the broader, you know, it's still play, it's a PlayStation series. Mm-hmm. We played a little Smash Brothers when you came to visit me uh, last month and we had some fun going through all the various codec calls um about the various participants. Have you played when we could any- get into work? I haven't played I mean a little big planet is a PlayStation only. I haven't had my own aside from the PS3 I had for like 8 months that I played MGS4 on and Uncharted uh, not really. I mean, the, the, the snake in 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 Clash is is its own thing. Like that's enough on its own. I think there's a bunch of um. One of the Final Fantasy is it Dirge of Cerberus? It might be Dirge of Cerberus. There's a there's a you play. Yeah, it is. You play. There's a little stealth sequence you play as Kate Sith. It's called Solid Kate. So that's one. That's great. That's great. There's there's references in a lot of Final Fantasy games stuff like that. It's mostly Japanese games, and it's mostly like just brief refer- references. I think there's a part in Yakuza where they talk about uh, like robots, and there's a guy who's like you can tell he's like a Metal Gear fan. I don't, there's not a whole lot of explicit stuff again because I think, especially in the West, because of um, IP and all that stuff, IP IP laws and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty, of, there's there's references, there's uh, there's tons of them in like Splinter Cell, which is funny because you don't see Splinter Cell references in Metal Gear. Nope. Why would you? <laughs> yeah, get that get that shit out of here. Unless I have, I have a lot of respect for Splinter Cell as like stealth games are great, but they're just mm-hmm. that's it. That's that's the only way they're interesting to me. Like they're not. There's nothing else about them that's. I mean, they're Tom Clancy games. They're politically they're on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, and they're just completely they're uninteresting in every way. But they're pretty good stealth games. So yeah, I played a couple uh, Splinter Cells. I enjoyed it. Very, you know. very good animations. I'll give them that. Yeah, they do good stuff with like lighting and sound. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Metal Gear does. Um, it's it's a competent you know replacement um if you're just looking for that kind of game but you're not going to get the same kind of meaty characterization and storytelling um and like you said it's a tom clancy game so in the end it's going to be very right wing and uh, pro-military We can close out today with the discussion about Oscar Isaac as Solid Snake if this uh, Jordan Voight Roberts directed film ever happens. We are currently putting together a fan casting episode for a Metal Gear movie, and in there we might discuss some other people we may have cast as Snake, and we'll do a full rundown of other characters and things we may or may not want to see in a Metal Gear movie. 
For this conversation, we're just going to focus on Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is immensely talented, extremely handsome, and has both gravitas and sincere interest in this character, which even if he wasn't my per se first choice, the idea that he actually wanted this role long before film was announced is kind of enough to get me a little bit hype. And my man seems to be getting some inadvertent CQC training based on clips of him training as Mark Spector, a.k.a. Mune... Moon, Moon, Moon Knight Moon in the Knight. MCU. This <laughs> um, I've said Moon Knight. So I'll turn it over to Brian for any thoughts he has on Oscar Isaac specifically. Well, first off, it's very you know very typical of you to uh, look over a brown man in favor of a white person for solid state. Oh, it does. <laughs> um, that, that's me. But no, I mean, I think it's interesting though. I, I do, I do think most of us kind of assume they had cast a white person because Snake. But it's interesting though because Big Boss has these weird. I, I and this is something I will I want to talk about explicitly with Peace Walker, the game that several characters confuse him for Che Guevara, and I think they deliberately kind of designed Big Boss in the later games to be a little bit eth- eth- ethically ambiguous. Like he's not, he doesn't just look like Michael Bean, for instance, or like just like a white guy. He just has this kind of weird, sort of vague facial. Construction. I don't know how else to describe it without getting into like the, his skull shape is different. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing phrenology, but no, the the like one of the biggest um, like he's, character he's, designs, not like the Shinkawa art, but like the yeah. model rendering of Big Boss. He's darker skinned. Yes, um, definitely hair. darker skinned than Snake. And I think I think they may have talked about that's because Snake spends so much time indoors, and Big Boss has spends a lot of time out out of the in the out of doors. But I also mm-hmm. think I think they wanted him to be more kind of. He could fit in just kind of more situations across the globe where he's not just obviously a white American guy running around being like, Bonjour, Migos. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, because Big Boss is supposed to be sort of outer, like NSF and, and Outer Heaven are supposed to be more, you know, divorced from any idea of any, any political entity, any idea of nationality or nationalism. So I think that may have been where they were going with that. And we could talk more about that with Peace Walker, but Solid Snake in particular is very white. Like I think that's mm-hmm. even in even in four, like they, that is a white man. Looks like my grandpa. Yeah, no, I agree that I think Peace Walker, and again, we'll save it for that, but it definitely gets into some of that ethnically ambiguous stuff, even with Kaz, because mm-hmm. um, he's a blonde haired Japanese man, but his name is Kazahiro McDonald Miller. Um and he might not have all of those names at the time of the Peace Walker events, but um, they're definitely trying to go for something that, you know, is sans frontiers, uh, yeah, more or yeah, less. Yeah. Um, well, but, 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 it, but, but anyways, anyways, to go to the Iser, Iser, I have nothing, but I'm very happy with that. He's one of my favorite actors. He's extremely charismatic and handsome. He's, and you know, Snake is supposed to be handsome. Like, I think that mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a, a, an attractive man. But yeah, and the fact that he wants to do it means that he's not, it's not going to be a, a Mark Wahlberg, Max Payne thing, which is the most disappointing. Like, it's, it's incredible that they, they fucking cast him in a role that's literally like, you've never played Max Payne, but I think even if you don't know anything about well, I, it. I played uh, the first one a little okay, bit. Okay, well, yeah, it's literally the whole game is introspection. It's like the entire character is him narrating over what he's done and like second guessing himself and having doubts. And it's like, yeah, it's this cast. Mark Wahlberg is a super introspective. Like, I don't know if he's a deep character, but like this very introspective, like gruff, emotionally damaged characters. The things that are definitely in Mark Wahlberg's wheelhouse of being like, yeah, he's, he's felt emotions before he knows what those are. 
I, I would have stopped nine eleven. That's exactly the kind of uh, deep, thoughtful introspection you need. Um, fucking depressing. Yeah. No, I think I, I, Oscar Isaac, as far as it goes, is pretty much as good as it gets, at least in terms of like a prestige actor who has a track record and like a really good track record. And even when he's in a shit movie, like say The Rise of Skywalker, he's still good in it. Or X-Men Apocalypse. Um, so, um, and then, uh, yeah, and they, that they buried him under a bunch of purple goo, but you know, he's worked with, you know, uh, the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis is great. Um, Ex Machina is a fun movie or do you, which one's the game and which one's the Ex Machina, right? Ex that's Machina, the, yeah. Alex, Gar- yeah, Alex Garland. About to say do sex, um, but that's the game. Um, I haven't seen the card counter yet, but that's supposed to be tremendous. Um, so I, th- I think uh, Oscar Isaac is about, pretty much as good as it could get, even though we'll probably float a couple other people that we yeah. might have thought about. Um, I don't think I, I mean, can I think, say. I think if Kojima had his brothers and we would have been made in 1987, it would have started Kurt Russell. But yeah, exactly. That that movie already happened. It was called Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> or Metal, it was called Metal Gear 2. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I think, uh, whatever this Metal Gear movie is, and again, we're going to have a full episode uh, on that coming in, uh, the next couple of weeks. I don't know exactly how we're going to order these, but, um, I think he, it will definitely be a highlight regardless of how everything else shakes out. Yep. You're incredible. Like a movie hero or something. No, you're wrong. In the movies, the hero always saves the girl. You mean Meryl? Sorry, forget I said anything. Snake, there's something I've really got to ask you. It's why I followed you up this far. Have you ever loved someone? That's what you came to ask. No, I mean, I I was wondering if even soldiers fall in love. What are you trying to say? Do you think love can bloom even on a battlefield? Yeah, I do. I think at any time, any place, people can fall in love with each other. But if you love someone, you have to be able to protect them. So that's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is Podcast Sans Frontiers at gmail.com and at Pod Sans Front on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sans Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash bomb. And hey, that's me. I've been Manu. You can find me covering Lord of the Rings over at my brother, my captain, my podcast. I don't have a catchy outro yet because I'm not far enough in Peace Walker. I'm still Brian. Bye. (laughs) A shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, here's to you, Solid Snake. Thank you.
Jesus.